0: This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. We're going to talk about one of the most common healthcare problems seen by the primary care providers, and that's hyperlipidemia. With me today is Dr. Stephen Kopetsky, a physician in the Department of Cardiovascular Diseases. Welcome, Steve. Thank you, Daryl. Well, let's start by talking about some of the pharmacologic therapy of uh, hyperlipidemia. Um, I have a general medical practice, and it's probably one of the most common aspects of my practice. Uh, So I use a fair number of statins, and let's talk about statins first. Uh, I think we all know that there's potential effects on the liver and muscle, uh, but are there any long-term potential risk from statins?
1: Yeah, uh, thank you for asking about this. This uh, lipid profile is the fifth most common test done in the United States, blood test. It is uh, the things that we worry with statins about, which are the number one uh, drug used uh, to treat hyperlipidemia obviously. First is uh, diabetes. I think uh, people are concerned about diabetes and I have to tell patients that there is increased risk of diabetes with statins. However, uh, it usually occurs about three months before you would have gotten diabetes otherwise. Uh, and that for every one patient that becomes diabetic, there are five cardiac events, hard events like heart attacks, strokes uh, prevented. The second thing is during pregnancy. You know, I tell women if you're uh, if you're thinking of getting pregnant, then that's when you need to stop your statin and do not restart it until you finish breastfeeding. Certainly, and the third one uh, that I think is commonly coming up is memory issues, in that. Um, people will say, I can't remember things. And the studies that have looked at this have not shown a memory deficit from statins. In fact, big databases show that uh, there's less Alzheimer's in people that are on statins than not. That may be a bias, of course. But, um, but clearly, the, uh, the long-term effects you know, primarily are in the muscle and the liver. If you uh, keep taking the statin in, in spite of having liver or muscle problems, the FDA now has said you need to check liver enzymes one time after you put the patient on it in two or three months. You do not need to keep rechecking if they stay on that same dose of the same statin in the future because all the events usually will occur early on. And you stop the statin if the liver function tests are three times normal. And for muscles, you stop the statin if the liver if the muscle test, like CK, is five times normal.
0: The um, use of statins and the myalgias, is, is that... Is that overplayed? I mean, I've got a lot of patients who start a statin and they call me and uh, say, I'm gonna stop this medication because my shoulder hurts. Yeah. Um, what are the myalgias truly
1: like? What do, what do patients experience when they have the myalgia secondary to statins? Yeah, the classic myalgia is there should be bilateral and proximal, being shoulder girdle, pelvic girdle, and they should be equal. It's not just like your left knee hurts. And again, it's a muscle pain, it's not a joint pain. And sometimes it's hard for people to differentiate that. But if you look at uh, statin myalgias, and I've had, I've been on every statin available. <laughs> One morning about 10 or 15 years ago, I couldn't get up out of bed. I thought I had rheumatoid arthritis. I was so stiff and ached so much. I stopped the statin and it went away. <laughs> I started the statin and it came back. So you would think that the symptoms were very reproducible. But when you do double-blind studies, you know, you we, we would think that if you do, you give some statin, they get a symptom, um, they stop the statin, that you think 100% would go away, if they restart the same statin, 100% would come back. But when you do a double blind study, it's very interesting, when you stop a statin, only about 25% of patients actually get total resolution of their symptoms. So it tells you maybe you know maybe about 20, 25% of people are actually getting some kind of statin-associated symptoms. The other thing is, if you restart the drug, the actual same drug, same dose, only half of the people get the same symptoms. And If you restart a placebo, 25% get the same symptoms. So there's a lot of overlap that we don't understand. The problem is there's no gold standard. You have a heart attack, you check a troponin. You have aortic stenosis, you do an echo. You know the answer. But we don't have the gold standard for uh, statin myalgias, unfortunately. So what I end up doing with these patients, and we have a statin intolerance clinic here, and I've seen thousand, over 1,000 patients, is if you've been on a couple of statins, then maybe try a third one. Um, if you've been on three statins and you've been intolerant, the odds are you're going to be intolerant to the fourth. So we'll say, start uh, something long-acting like rosuvastatin once a week, and let's increase it not earlier than three months, because there's a rapidity to the dose increase that can cause symptoms also. So we'll raise it in three months and uh, s- check their levels in three months. And that's been shown to lower even once a week, maybe 20, 25%. And you can go to twice a week, um, but again, three months, not, not too fast. So it's very interesting. This is, uh, this is one of these uh, problems that we don't have a handle on, on how to measure it because it's totally subjective. Yeah. But it's, I think it's very real.
0: I've had some really good success in statin intolerant patients just using a very tiny dose of rosuvastatin, as you stated, just yeah. even once a week. Yeah. You know, 2.5, half of a 5-milligram yeah. tablet. Start out with once a week. And the uh, medication is so powerful that even if you're only going to be able to go up to 2.5 or 5 milligrams, it still drops the LDL significantly. Maybe not to your goal, but it's certainly mm-hmm. better than uh, where they were at.
1: Very true, and you can add to that. You know, try to change their diet, review it for certain things: the saturated fats, the trans fats they could used to be getting in their diet, the coconut oils. That'll raise it. Uh, add some supplements in. That does work uh, better with the statin on board, or certainly the azetamide Now that it's generic, even daily azetamide is very well tolerated, and that can work great with the once or twice a week uh, statin. Okay. Are there some
0: statins that are less prone to result in myalgias than others? Let's say we start a patient on simvastatin and they develop what sounds like true myalgias related to the medication. Is there one or two statins that they may
1: tolerate better, or are we just blind? Do we just try a different one? Yeah. In an answer, no. There's not one statin in individuals. There is. So, for instance, Simvastatin, you mentioned, has a lot of drug drug interactions. You know, we need to get them off the calcium blockers and things like that. So, pretty much, I stay away from it now because patients use it on other drugs. The second thing is ask the patient, what about your family? Do you talk to your brother, your sister, your mom, or dad? Can they take drug X but not drug Y? You know, they get good benefit or no side effects, whatever. That seems to run in families, and that's helpful. The idea that a, a water soluble versus a fat soluble or a cytochrome P four fifty enzyme type of that doesn't seem to make any difference, to be honest with you. Which okay. statin. Right. Let's talk a little bit about the
0: different statins. What what are the differences between the statins that are available for
1: us? Yeah. Well they all inter, you know, they all block the HMG CoA reductase. They're all an inhibitor of that which unfortunately is a uh, I tell patients it's a pathway in uh, to making cholesterol in your body and it's like putting a dam in a river so anytime you put a dam in a river upstream everything floods and downstream everything gets dry and downstream is the CoQ10 uh, things like that it's not clear which marker uh, correlates with the intolerance uh, but clearly the statins uh, are are very equal in, except for their potency and their uh, length of action you know some of the the Early statins, uh, pravastatin, uh, lovastatin, very short-acting. You really had to give it at night because they only—that's when we make more our, our cholesterol at night. But these newer ones now, the atorvastatin, the rosuvastatin, are long enough. You can take any time of day. Is that the
0: reason we're supposed to give simvastatin at bedtime? I've never heard an explanation for
1: yeah, that. Yeah, the original Mevacor was first approved for uh, lovastatin in this country in 1987, and those early studies had gave it at bedtime because that's when you make your cholesterol, and it works about you know six or eight hours, and, and that was the reason. And it got picked up on subsequent statins, but it's not necessary. Hmm, interesting.
0: I want to go back a little bit to myalgias and uh, statin-induced myalgias. If a patient develops myalgias and we check a creatin kinase and it's normal. Uh, if the myalgias are mild,
1: can we continue that drug or do we, should we still try to find something else? Yes, that's a good question. The, I usually have to have a, you know, have a conversation with a patient. I say, can you live with this discomfort? And I do encourage them to get off the statin for a month if it's bothering them and say, get off it completely. Write down you know, right now what you're feeling, you know, where it hurts, scale of one to 10, whatever. And then in a month, pull that piece of paper out and compare it. If it's really about the same, then it wasn't the statin. But if it's noticeably different, you feel a lot better than say, okay, that's one you can't take, let's get you on something different. Mm-hmm. And there's no evidence that getting off someone off a statin for a month is mm-hmm. gonna increase their risk. In fact, the statin benefit persists out for multiple years in terms of lowering their risk of heart attack. So it, it really takes a conversation with a patient. And as you probably know, about 20% of patients given a statin prescription don't fill out the first one Fifty percent that fill out the first one don't fill out the second one, so you have half your patients not on the statin at the end of three months. Yeah, I was reading some
0: compliance studies on statins, and the compliance rate is unbelievably low, even in patients who have had cardiovascular events, right. where you think they would be the most
1: motivated patients to continue their medication. They are low, and um, and but they aren't the only one that's that's higher compliance in the statin is the ARBs, the beta blockers. Diuretics, all these others, calcium blockers, people stop them too. Yeah, yeah. I think it, what's in common is probably medications that
0: patients don't actually feel better taking them. Yeah. Uh, the compliance for uh, anti inflammatory medications is, is quite high because it mm. relieves their pain, they feel better, they'll spend the money
1: on it. Right, and there's so much on the internet about statins too. True, true. true. Mayo Clinic offers medical education conferences at locations around the country and the globe. Learn from medical experts and network with colleagues at exciting destinations. Plan your next CME course by visiting ce.mayo.edu. All
0: right, well, let's... um change topics just a little bit and talk about non-statin pharmacologic therapy. You mentioned azetamide. Uh, what role
1: does that drug play in yeah. the management of patients with elevated cholesterol? Yeah. ezetimibe really can help you in a couple of areas. Um, one is if you can't get a patient to go. Say they, they go higher on the dose and they get aches or they just don't want to go higher then you can add the azetamide in, which gives you another 15, 20% reduction, which has been shown to lower event rates too. It's not just an LDL reduction, but an event rate reduction. The, uh, that's, that's very helpful for people. The other ones, if they say, Doc, I just can't, I just don't want to go on a statin. You know, I, Can you have anything else I can take? Then say, Well, take a statin once a week, twice a week, and then take the azetamide, because azetamide works much better when the statin's on board. So those two groups uh, can't get to goal or don't want to take a, a high dose statin it's very very helpful with and the improved study showed us that the number needed to treat was about one in forty to lower event rates which is i think worth it uh, yeah. for these patients
0: now we know that statins have really two benefits one is basically lowering ldl cholesterol with you know minor effect on triglycerides and hdl but also lowering the event rate if for the patients in the future does uh, Zetamide
1: have these two benefits as well or is it basically just uh, LDL-lowering drug? Well, the um, FDA did ask uh, the azetamide manufacturers to do a study that showed it lower event rates, so they did improve it. And they showed it did lower event rates, and the FDA said, well, we're sorry, we don't think it's good enough, we're not gonna approve it for that particular uh, indication. Uh, it's obviously approved to lower your LDL. And anyway, it went generic about 18 months later anyway, so um, we, many of us use it quite a bit. Because it does lower LDL, and it does lower event rates. And I've used it in patients who
0: are truly statin intolerant. We've tried every statin, they just can't tolerate them. Uh, Azetomibe is well tolerated, and you could pretty much count on a 20, 25 percent reduction
1: mm-hmm. in LDL cholesterol. So mm-hmm. it may be useful in that patient as well. Mm-hmm. And patients sometimes will say, "But I, you know I understand how it works, but I don't eat cholesterol, doctor." And I'll say, "That's okay, but your body doesn't know that." You know, you're eating breakfast and your body says, my God, you know, Steve hadn't fed us all night. Let's put some bile out there that has cholesterol in it so we can absorb the fat. And that is a very efficient uh, process. You know, you, you're 95% of your cholesterol in your bile is reabsorbed. It circulates six or eight times a day. So the zetimibe can do a good job, or, or as will the psyllium or the stanols and sterols and mm-hmm. soluble fiber.
0: Let's talk about fibrates. We don't see those used as much now as in the past. Uh, what's What's
1: the benefit of fibrates? Yeah, the fibrates uh, do make your numbers look better. You know, you're Your LDL down, your HDL up, but they haven't in triglycerides too. But they haven't really had the event rate reductions. The uh, one of the recent studies that didn't show a benefit, a subset of people with high triglycerides, low HDL. There was a subset that had benefited them. Uh, there's talk about doing a study to replicate that and see if it if the high triglyceride, low HDL will really be benefited. No one's really done that because so many of the fibrates now are generic. Uh, so we tend to use them more as a second or third line therapy, certainly not a first line. How about in the patient that has you know,
0: marginal LDL cholesterol elevation, but their triglycerides are extremely high? Yes. fibrates uh, play, play a role in those patients?
1: Uh, fibrates do play a role, but again, they're down the line. Uh, triglycerides, I'll never forget this one um, uh, service member, you know, military member, who got out of the military, but he kept eating like he was in the military. His triglycerides were 1,200. Now you know, most textbooks will say over 500 need to start medication. But I would encourage you uh, to, to do that, but also take a history of what their lifestyle's like. What are they eating? The guy kept drinking a lot of sports drinks, a lot of juice, a lot of high carbohydrate uh, beverages, and uh, got him off that, got him active again like when he was in the military, and in uh, six weeks his triglycerides were down to 400. And subsequently came down to 200 with more lifestyle change. So lifestyle is very important for triglycerides. Fish oil can be very helpful for triglycerides. You know, about six grams, five to six grams a day, of EPA and DHA combined in the pill. You have to teach the patient how to read the bottle. Over the counter, you don't need a the expensive uh, brand name uh, prescription uh, fish oil, but that will help lower triglycerides too tremendously. Okay. I tell patients who have high
0: triglycerides that we don't really have good medication for lowering triglycerides, but they're probably the easiest to lose or mm-hmm. to lower with mm-hmm. lifestyle changes. You know, yep. Diet, weight loss, exercise, you can make a dramatic effect in a triglyceride level by lifestyle
1: changes. Very true. And patients love it. I mean, they feel empowered. You, I'll say, you know, you can lower this in a few weeks. Come back in three weeks and let's recheck it if you do this. And they come back and they say, wow, this is great, doctor. I really did this all by myself. So you mentioned fish oil. Is
0: there still benefits in patients using fish oil?
1: There is benefits for triglycerides. It certainly will help lower triglycerides, and I think it's, it's a more attractive option to many patients than a prescription uh, pill. Okay.
0: All right, let's talk about niacin. Niacin is another product we used to prescribe more in the past than
1: we do currently. Uh, what's the story on niacin? Yeah, niacin. I, one of our prior colleagues, Dr. Gage, was involved with the, one of the original uh, studies and uh, where they found that uh, the group of patients that were on niacin, they looked at them years later and they actually did better, had lower event rates. Everybody's been trying to replicate that study since and we haven't been able to do it. A niacin will make your numbers look better, but it does not seem to lower your event rates, which is the important thing. And so the aim high study, which looked at that specifically, Um, showed that you can raise your HDL a few points, four or five points, but didn't lower event rates. And it did seem to increase intracranial event rates when given with the statin. So we say first don't give them with a statin. If you want to give them alone, it can make numbers look a little better, but uh, try to get the patient to work on their lifestyle too, and and, uh, maybe even think of a statin, you know, switching to a statin at some point. Sure. Plus they were really
0: difficult to get patients to continue. The lightheadedness, the flushing, the headaches... uh, if you had a dose that was high enough to do any good, it usually caused some of those adverse effects.
1: Right, and it's hard, if you've noticed, when you have a patient that's on niacin, it, it's hard to get them off it. They say, Doctor, I worked so hard for so many years to tolerate this dose, I hate to stop it. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, let's finish up with one of the new kids on the block, uh, the PCSK9 inhibitors. Uh, these have been released, I see them advertised on TV. Um, What's the role of these drugs in uh, the primary care physician managing our patients with elevated lipids?
1: Yeah, they really are a breakthrough uh, drug, the PCSK9 inhibitors. And the reason I say they're a breakthrough is they don't block a pathway like statins do. They actually allow your body to do its own thing that it wants to do better. So the PCSK9 inhibitors, I tell patients, it's like um, a, uh, a, a key in a lock in that We have the LDL that fits in the LDL receptor in the liver and the receptor takes the LDL in the liver and it disposes the LDL, the receptor comes back out. Unfortunately, we have a PCSK9 protein that holds those two together. Some of us have more than others and that's when uh, when both the receptor and the LDL are destroyed. So I tell patients it's like taking your garbage, putting it out on Wednesday for the garbage man. He takes your garbage, but he also takes your garbage can. So you have to go back to the store and buy a new garbage can, very inefficient because that receptor is used a couple hundred times. So if you can give an inhibitor, that helps that process tremendously. What are the problems with it? Well, they're very expensive, you know, 14,000 a year. They're injectable every couple of weeks at least. But who do we use them in? They are very helpful in the FH patients, the familial hypercholesterolemia patients. If you ever talk to a patient and they have an early heart attack or have a family member, gee, my brother just had a heart attack, you know, a few weeks ago and he's 38. I uh, think about that with they have LDLs they will not always be 190 they may be 160 if they're if they're young folks think about that and uh, look for it in the family history uh, they're helpful for FH when they have coronary disease and can't get to goal that's the triad that it's very helpful with uh, I think the problem we're having is the insurance companies aren't necessarily coming real uh, making it real easy to get it approved uh, but if you uh, if you t- stick with though that triad FH early coronary disease and can't get to goal, it's usually fairly easy to get them approved. Uh, it's the ones that uh, don't want to take a statin or just want the newest drug on the block, you know, that, that's where you have real troubles. Yeah. Well, we know they're extremely
0: powerful in lowering LDL cholesterol. Yeah. Have they been around long enough to know if they reduce
1: the cardiovascular event rate? Right, a couple of studies have been done that do show a lowering of event rates, even in just a, about two years of follow-up. And remember, these were given on top of statins. And that's a point that I think it's important for your audience to hear, that being on a PCSK9, it'll lower your, your LDL uh, by about 55 60%. If you put them on a statin and you already lower it 50%, it'll lower it another 60%. So it's on top of whatever else you're already doing.
0: Well, we've been talking about elevated lipids with Dr. Stephen Kopetsky, a physician in the Department of Cardiovascular Diseases. Thank you so much, Steve, for showing your, sharing your wisdom with us.
1: Thank you for having me, Daryl.
0: Many of you have asked how you can experience Mayo Clinic medical education firsthand. See our full catalog of live and online CME courses at ce.mayo.edu. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please subscribe. Stay healthy and see you next week.